Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. My name is Father Tony Smila. And I'm Michael Hasso. So, uh, summer. I think it's I think it's officially summer now, right? Yeah. I think it, it was is like official. the end of June. Yep. Marks the uh, beginning of summer. And uh, so we figured for today we would uh, uh, talk about summer pilgrimages. Do you, have yeah. any, do you have any summer plans, by the way? Uh, you know, nothing that's coming to mind immediately. I uh, I would like to do one of these pilgrimages. I was mm. thinking as we were preparing this. There we go. So I I think we might end up doing a a good pilgrimage or something. Nice. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be. The, yeah, I'm really excited about the list we've got for you today. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be sitting on a beach though. My vacation is sitting on a beach. Oh, and... that'll be nice too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> got a few more weeks counting down the days. Yeah. That'll be a pilgrimage in its own. It is a pilgrimage <laughs> in its own. And you yeah. all will know when I'm on vacation when we don't have podcast episodes. Yeah. So we're going to take a couple week break in uh, just a few weeks here. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I'm going on vacation. So yeah. let's jump in. Summer pilgrimages. So uh, we came up with um, a list of uh, two two different lists of pilgrimages. And the, the bigger list, the one that we really wanted to focus on is um, pilgrimages that we can drive to. Yeah. Really local, short, distant drives. Um, in fact, I think the furthest one is probably just what a six, seven hour drive. Yeah, something like that. It's not it's not too bad. I Actually mean, you have I to... take I take that back. Uh one of these is probably a twelve uh, uh well, maybe a ten hour drive. Yeah. But still doable. Doable. You know. Yeah. This isn't you know, like you'd have to commit <laughs> you would. to a good couple of days probably. You would. Um but, but you'd yeah. want to spend a couple of days at these places, yeah, too. Yeah, for, so. sure. for sure. So that's what we really want to do. The first one, just driving distance. Wanted to make it feasible, doable to anybody yeah. um, on any budget. And then the second list is if money and time are not a problem. Yeah. If you could just take all the time you want and all the money you want. Yeah. And what are the best pilgrimage sites, basically, in the world? Yeah. Uh, so so let's just jump in uh, with the first one. And I think the first one is probably the one that might be the furthest away. Uh, so we'll just come closer to home as we get going. So the yep. first one I want to talk about is the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So that's kind of all the way on the western side of Wisconsin. So you're pretty much going all the way through that state. That state's a long state to drive through, too. Yeah. Um, but the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe is there, and it is a beautiful shrine. Uh, so I used to... Um, I did my undergrad seminary at St. John Vianney in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. So it's only a few hours. I think it was a three-hour drive from our seminary to the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So I ended up going there a few times uh, throughout my three years there. And uh, it's an absolutely beautiful shrine. There's a lot of different pieces to it. You've got uh, the shrine itself. You've got the church at the bottom of the hill. Um, you've got the stations all the way up. Just a beautiful place to take a few days and... Um, just to take some time in quiet prayer and meditation. I think that's the theme you're going to see in a lot of these uh, shrines, pilgrimage places. Uh, pilgrimages are certainly meant to be interior, right? You're not a, you're not a tourist. You're there to pray. And that's, yeah. that, that's the whole point is interior transformation, mimicking our journey um, to God. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I love about this episode in particular of like, especially coming up with some pilgrimage ideas within driving distance the point is, is that this is supposed to be like an ordinary part of life yeah. in a sense, you know, not that you necessarily do this every day, but what pilgrimage helps us do is to remind us that we're on a journey towards heaven. Correct. And so it is important for this to be, you know, a, a somewhat regular part of our life because it, it helps nourish our spiritual life. Yeah. So. so the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe um, is just a beautiful place to go, beautiful place to pray. And, uh, um, yeah, La Crosse, Wisconsin. That's probably the furthest one away. Yeah, that's that's a great one. So mine, I'll start with probably the one that I think probably most of the listeners in our area would be most familiar with, and that's the Cross in the Woods. Yeah. That's in Indian River, Michigan. Um, if you're not familiar with the area, it's um, near Gaylord, Michigan. Uh, and it's just a, a very beautiful shrine. Uh, I believe there the crucifix is something like 60 plus feet tall yeah, it's really big it's a huge huge crucifix and actually fun fact uh where i went to where i went to college uh saginaw valley they have a life-size replica Whoa. of the corpus Whoa. like the body of jesus indoors by the way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is <laughs> if you've seen this that's a feat in itself this yeah. is like 
It's pretty big. Yeah. When I was in college, actually, me and some friends, we would, um, they had windows like up on the second floor. So you're like eye level with Jesus. And we'd go like sit up in the windows and you'd be like eye level with Jesus. And we'd, you know, pray rosary or, or whatever. It was actually a really, really nice place to pray especially in the absence of having like the blessed sacrament on campus mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> so, so I've never actually been there when they've had mass outside. I don't oh, know really? if I'm just okay. like unlucky, yeah. but uh, every time I've been there and I've been there a few times, uh, they've always had mass in the church indoors, which yeah. is a beautiful church. In fact, the church indoors um, just feels like the rustic Northern Michigan church. I love that. Yeah. That, the church is kind of in, in its own Michigan way, very Michigan beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that because you know, the first time that I went to Cross in the Woods, I was like anticipating that. I was like, oh, that'll be so cool to go to Mass outside. And I think probably went on a weekday or something. So it was daily Mass. And I don't think they normally do that. Yeah. But when I saw the inside of the church, I was like, wow, I'm <laughs> I'm like not at all disappointed right. being inside because it's a very, very nice church inside. Yeah. But yeah, you kind of got to you got to plan it right because I think I want to say they only do it between like Memorial Day and Labor Day, maybe or so. something like that. And the weather has to be right. Yeah. So I have had it one time where where we had outdoor mass there and it was pretty nice. cool. All right. So we're we're just going to try and zip through some of these because I think there's a lot to talk about in all of them. Yeah. The second one, um, I'm also going back to Wisconsin. So maybe you can hit these two back to back. Our Lady of Good Help. So. I'm going to admit right up front of all the places, this is the one I have not been to before. So I've never been to this this one. Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin, which is over by Green Bay. Uh, So you'd want to just take 94 up and then like hit Green Bay and then flip over to La Crosse. That'd be a cool way to do it. Our Lady of Good Help is is a place I do want to get to, though, uh, in short order. It is the only Vatican-approved Marian apparition site in the United States is in Champion, Wisconsin. There's a cool story attached to this place too, um, where there's a church there, uh, and you know, this is maybe a hundred years ago. I don't know exactly the time frame. Maybe I could have done a little bit of research ahead of time, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I'm just going off my memory here. Uh, while back there was a, uh, uh, just a church kind of middle of the woods, um, your typical Wisconsin church. And there was a big fire and, uh, if I remember right, the people started praying a rosary around the church and everything was burned except the church. The fire went right up to the, the entrance of the church and stopped just right wow. there. Uh, and, and at some point, uh, Mary appeared and it's Mary it's they, and on their website, it says America's Marian apparition site. So champion Wisconsin. Um, so that's, uh, if you want to, um, have a Marian flavor to your pilgrimage. Uh, definitely want to hit the only Ameri- yeah. Vatican-approved uh, Marian apparition site in the United States. Yeah, that I think that pilgrimage site is pretty hard to beat, but we do got a couple of other good ones coming. We do. Um, so my next one, I have actually also never been to this, but this is going to be on my list of places to hit very shortly. Or actually, no, I forgot. I have been to this. I was going to say. Yeah, because it's not too far away. The Solanus Casey Center. I was going to say, if you haven't been there, I was going to rip you a little bit for that. (laughs) That was like my permanent home when I was in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I was thinking about this because we were talking about this before the show. One of the things that inspired me to, to think about pilgrimage was that lately I've been trying to do some uh, pilgrimages with college students as a part of campus ministry, just like a one day local pilgrimage, you know, within driving distance sort of thing. And we had kind of gotten disrupted by COVID like many things. And, uh, and so I was just thinking ahead to this coming year of places I would like to go. And this is probably on the short list is the Solanus Casey center. Cause it's pretty sweet. You know, it's just always so inspiring to, walk where the saints walked i mean i think those are some of the best pilgrimages it can just be so inspiring yeah to just realize like wow saints like lived here they prayed here and they just did the work of jesus here yeah so that's a good one uh i spent a lot of time at the solanus casey center uh when i was in detroit um you know the, the seminary in detroit uh is a giant building. 
375,000 square foot building. It's huge. Wow. Yeah. Um, but it can feel like you're in prison sometimes because everything you need is within those walls. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, when I got crazy and I'm like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, Solana's Casey Center is typically my go-to. I just bring a bunch of homework and go find one of a table chairs and just like do some work over there. Yeah. Um, by Solana's Casey, you know, good stuff. Uh, Solana's Casey Center. Fantastic. It's beautiful. It's got a giant um, relic. I think it's one of the bigger relics I've ever seen um, of a saint. And uh, like it's like got a four inch bone of Solana's Casey in a reliquary, which is kind of yeah. cool. That is pretty sweet. So, uh, so if you were doing homework there, did you like, if you had a particularly difficult paper, you like touched it to the relic and then handed it in? Or? So the relic only happened after I was ordained because that's oh, okay. when he was made blessed. <laughs> so when he, it was just before it was the blessed Solana's Casey yeah. Center, it was just the Solana's Casey Center. Yeah. And uh, yeah, didn't that. I, I was ordained after that. Okay. But I did get, I was in the third row on the floor of Ford Field uh, oh, during wow. his beatification mass, which was really cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> that was really fun. That was a cool day. So that is the Blessed Lana's Casey Center. All right. So now I'm on my third one. Yep. So third one is uh, the Bishop Baraga tour. Bishop Baraga. So Bishop Baraga was uh, Bishop um, Northern Michigan uh, way back in the day. Uh, he was known as the snowshoe, uh, Bishop cause he would just meet and cause you know, it's Northern Michigan. There's a lot of snow. Yeah. Um, so he would use snowshoes and walk from church to church, uh, within his, uh, mission diocese. And, uh, so which is like a huge area. I just got a huge, add. massive, massive area. His, his diocese consisted of what would today be the diocese of Gaylord the Diocese of Marquette, which is the entire, the entire UP. United, yeah, the entire thing. And then north of Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. So this is just like, and I mean, I'm sure our listeners can imagine what sort of snow and weather that would be. Yep. And he did that all on foot. Yeah, he probably Evangelizing walked, those people. And it was probably uphill both ways. And Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I like that. <laughs> so I, and, and I'm going to be... So if we go to bishopberga.org, like there's the Berga house. There's a bunch of um, churches that, that Berga was responsible for building. There's a lot of, typically they're, they're small, they're, they're white, they're just, um, and they're all over the place in, in, in Northern Michigan. Um, yeah. But it's it's beautiful to to hit the, some of those sites that are, are dedicated to Bishop Baraga uh, to see you know we have his diary we have you know his notes about how he what what he was doing and how he was uh, really ministering to the people in this time and place um, it's, it's a fascinating fascinating story Bishop Baraga if you don't know much about him to learn more about him yeah. and then to tour just these beautiful churches in, in northern Michigan. Um, to see, you know, following the footsteps of Bishop Baraga, uh, to see what he saw, you know, I got to do it in the middle of the summer. Uh, yeah. so I didn't get to do it with snowshoes. Um, I don't like snow all that much, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but there's some beautiful, beautiful churches in Northern Michigan. And it's, it's a good opportunity to yeah. kind of combine a few things too, right? See some of the beautiful things yeah. that Northern Michigan has to offer. Uh, so go up to Sault Ste. Marie and, yeah. uh, and combine that and go hit a bunch of Baraga churches along the way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is this would be a particularly good pilgrimage for any of our listeners because, I mean, so many people spend their summers in northern Michigan camping, right. you know, doing all sorts of things, enjoying the outdoors. And it's like, this doesn't have to be something apart from your normal life. Yeah. It can, it can be a part of it, but a way to like bring God into it, which is really cool. And I'd say even with, uh, with young families, yeah. that'd be a really good one. Yeah. Um, just kind of go throughout all the different places. And then when you're in Sault Ste. Marie, get, get a good ice cream and then go to yeah. the church, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So my next one, and this is one that I really recently discovered. Um, it's in Indiana and it's called the Shrine of Christ's Passion. Now this is huge and it's a new shrine. Um, my wife and I, we stopped by on our way. It It's like pretty much right on the way between... Uh, Michigan and Chicago and there isn't really much of an extra drive we just pulled off kind of expecting it to be just a small little shrine you know maybe a few yards between each station of the cross and stuff like that and we get out and it's just massive I mean the whole length of the stations is I think maybe a little over a mile I believe that they have it 
set up so that you're basically walking the same length of the actual way of the cross. Wow. And all of the all of the different stations are life-size made out of bronze and some of them are even interactive like they they have one it's not a station obviously but they have Jesus at the last supper and then they have all the seats empty so you can like sit there Ooh. with him and pray interesting and again also not a part of the stations of the cross but when you first get there there's this cool little um i don't know stop or <laughs> or little little monument i guess to Moses and the 10 commandments and you go down this path and it's quite a long path and it it's kind of like you're in a stone quarry you have like rocks that are piled up you know 15 feet or so high all around you and you're taking this winding path and you find the statue of Moses with the 10 commandments yeah and i'm looking at the picture right now it's like the mini charleston charlton heston <laughs> yeah, i love it it really is <laughs> it kind of sounds like it too yep. so they have like audio running the whole whole stations of the cross so it's like very like prayerful music um certain things like the 10 commandments they'll have like audio of like moses or or i think god speaking um the 10 commandments to moses stuff like that and then once you get to the end of the stations they have this just amazing cathedral like something it looks like something you'd see in europe it's huge you can see it from a mile away from the beginning and it has like these three spires and so Ola and I get up to it and, you know, we're thinking like, one, how long has this been here? Because it doesn't look that old. And we look at it and this this shrine was built in 2008. Wow. It was just amazing. You don't, I mean, one, you don't often just like stumble upon shrines that are that huge that it <laughs> seems like not a lot of people know about. Right. But then very rarely do you find ones that are that new. Hmm. So... This is truly amazing, but you, I would highly recommend, you know, you can definitely stop there and just spend like a, a good hour or two, but this is the sort of thing where you could easily spend a day there. Oh yeah. It's just beautiful shrine. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking at the website right now. looks pretty cool. And I'll also go check that out. We're going to have links to all of these shrines for in the show sure. notes so you can find them for yourselves. Yep. All right. So the last one that, uh, for the drivable uh, pilgrimages. Uh, last one we'll talk about is actually not in this country. It is in Midland, Ontario, the North American Martyr Shrine. Now, here in the States, we call it the North American Martyrs. Uh, in Canada, they call them the Canadian Martyrs. Of course they of, do. Of course they do. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're talking about all the martyrs combined, so there's a martyr site in uh, Midland, Ontario, which is where I've been to. Uh, a few times now, and then there's a site in New York as well, upstate New York. Yeah. Uh, so I guess if you combine them, they're the North American martyrs. Uh, the Canadians will just call them the Canadian martyrs. Uh, yeah. So a group of Jesuits who were martyred um, in uh, this in this area, they were ministering to the Huron Indians, and uh, um, they were uh, killed by the Iroquois, Iroquois Indians, um, martyred uh, because of their faith. Um, and it's pretty gruesome how some of them were martyred uh so we've got the shrine in midland ontario uh which is really uh there's a beautiful church on top of a massive hill um which has their relics which has uh um just beautiful art and then on one side um there's just been a lot of healings that have happened there and so you've got you know canes and walkers and all kinds of things uh that people walk away without their canes um, really cool. And then at the bottom of the hill, uh, this is, this is really cool too. They have a, um, recreation of a village that would have, uh, what the village would have looked like in the time of, um, Jean de Brébeuf, Isaac Jogues and, and the company. So, um, really cool to walk through that. Uh, and, uh, I got to do it with the seminary group as a seminarian. Uh, the Bishop came with us, which is always really cool. And, uh, in the chapel that they had built at the bottom of that hill, um, which is the chapel, what it would have looked like in their time, uh, we celebrated the extraordinary form of the mass there. Wow. Which is the mass as they would have have known it at that time. Yeah. So that was really cool. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, That's amazing. And then you can walk the trail that they would have taken from the village to where they were eventually martyred. Uh, it's a long walk and uh, 
we we did that as well and um just meditating on you know what those what those men went through um out of love for the people there so the north american shrine north american martyr shrine midland ontario um i can't remember off the top of my head where it is in new york i know it's upstate new york Uh, i haven't been in that one but the one in midland is is really worth the trip awesome once we can go back to canada yeah once we're allowed that is that's true yeah so now we're going to be talking about the the pilgrimage sites if time or money is not a problem yeah really there's only one item on my list and (laughs) yeah that's and that's it uh jerusalem yep go to jerusalem it's amazing it'll change your life it uh, brings the scriptures to life in a way that just nothing else can. You're yeah. walking in the steps Jesus walked. You're seeing the things Jesus saw. You're there in the place, which for the old city of Jerusalem, obviously it's changed a lot. Uh, but the old city of Jerusalem, they've kept a lot of of what Jesus would have seen. So the walls are the walls are still there. Um, the locations are still there. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, where Jesus would have been cruci- where Jesus was crucified, where he was buried, and of course then where he rose. It's all right there. Yeah. Um, to see the streets as Jesus would have walked through them, uh, there are a few places. So they've got a stations of the cross throughout the old city of Jerusalem, and it's quite possible that I mean the streets are the same streets that that are that were then. Like, yeah. like this this cobblestone is the same cobblestone they're they're excavating on the this it was the western i think side of jerusalem they recently excavated a set of stairs stone stairs um which they can say with almost 100 percent certainty that this would have been the only way in the time of jesus to go from the upper room to the garden of gethsemane yeah where you're like oh my gosh jesus took those stairs yeah on his way to being crucified amazing to think about uh the garden of gethsemane is still there uh the the church of all nations is there now um and there's a rock right by the altar and tradition states that's the rock where jesus bled like sweat blood um and said you know father if uh if it'd be possible take this cup from me but not my will but your will be done it's amazing uh actually i think that might have been my one of my favorite spots uh, because it's also the place where Jesus would have said, could you not stay up one hour with me? And yeah. so to pray a holy hour there yeah, to be like, Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to stay up this hour for you. It's yeah. Really cool. Um, I could talk about Jerusalem forever. Uh, if you really want to get excited about Jerusalem, there is a documentary that was released recently within the last 10 years. And it's, it's doubly cool because Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, narrates it and he's fantastic. Um, I think it's just called Jerusalem, the Holy City, uh, and it's really, really fantastic. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Watch that. It'll get you really excited about Jerusalem. Yeah, that's awesome. So my uh, my pilgrimage that I would recommend, if time or money isn't a problem, is, and I'm probably saying this wrong because it's very Polish, Jasnogora Monastery. Um, you might not have heard of this before, but you probably have in a way. It's the location of Our Lady of Częstochowa. Of course, of course. Yeah, so that's, um, if you're not familiar, it's the Black Madonna that you often see in most churches, I think. A lot of, many, many parishes have an image of Our Lady of Częstochowa. And according to tradition, this image was actually painted by St. Luke, the gospel writer. Um, And it was supposed to like the backing is believed to be from the table of the holy family Ooh, yeah Ooh. so oh, this is like chills yeah it's it's pretty crazy and so there is many theories about how it eventually made its way to poland and, and stuff like that but one of the things that you'll notice on this image is like mary has these like cuts on her cheek and it's and there's like drops of blood so that wasn't painted by the way um what happened, I think this was in the 1900s even, where somebody broke in to steal the painting. And I think they were like almost got caught or something. They ended up slashing the painting and Mary started to bleed. And so they like freaked, of course. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> They're like, oh, there might be something here. <laughs> so they left. <laughs> 
We'll just say that. Yep. So, I, I, I would too. Yeah. So this is very, very beautiful place. When, uh, when my wife and I were there, it was kind of funny because we showed up for Sunday mass and we were with some of her family who are from Poland, natives and stuff. And so we just showed up, you know, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes before we get there. We had to park like a mile away because it turns out that September is a special pilgrimage month in Poland. So people will like literally walk. Some of them will walk from across Poland to this pilgrimage site. Dang. And like, it's a very intense thing. So we get there and it's like world youth day. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. It's like, it was crazy. We, we got in for mass. And by the way, there's like, I think five masses going on at the same time. And, and when they end a mass, by the way, they, <laughs> there was just so, so much going on that they like, didn't even stop. They just like filtered out a new priest, <laughs> a new priest came in and it's in all in Polish and stuff. So I like turned to my wife who knows a little bit of Polish and I was like, is the mass done? <laughs> Cause you just, it, it's very hard to tell with like very seamless. so much. Yeah. There was like so much going on and there was, wasn't just one priest at the front and just all this stuff. So, um, but it was very cool experience, but we were like elbow to elbow. So I don't know if you like that. Maybe September's the time to go. Maybe true. it's not. <laughs> it's true. Maybe but, not. But it's very, very cool place. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Poland's high on my list of places I got to visit soon. Yeah. Being half Polish myself, I got to do it. Right? Yeah. You got to. So the next one I would recommend. Speaking of Poles. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Is also Poland. The great St. John Paul II International Shrine. So this is the one in Poland, um, and it's basically what what was done was, um, I believe the Vatican bought the whole like apartment building that John Paul II grew up in, and so what they did was they uh, they like maintained the apartment that they lived in, like that room or a few rooms, and the rest of it was converted into a museum basically. Um, and so it's very, very cool to, to just be able to walk through this. You can see all sorts of stuff. It's like, and this is obviously a very new shrine. So they have like, you know, the latest and greatest in technology. Like they'll show, there was this one room we walked through where it was like all the different, um, all the different clerics and, and stuff like that, that he wore when he was a priest, when he became bishop, cardinal and pope. And they'll even have like a hologram of his image in it. What? Yeah. So it's it's pretty <laughs> so it's pretty sweet. And at one point you're like you're walking along and you look down and there's like the gun that was used to attempt to assassinate. Oh my gosh, him. they have that too. Yeah, and you're like walking on it. So it's <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Interesting. In that way. So they have like they have a lot of really neat stuff, and um. Yeah, they just have so many things from his childhood to the time he died. They so many miracles attributed to him that were confirmed and they have them all like on a wall for you to see, like handwritten prayer requests and stuff like that that people sent from all over the world wow. that were answered prayers. So, just amazing thing to see. And then I've heard this before where you can where the church was so close that he served mass at every day. It's it's literally so close you could almost stick a broom out the out the apartment window and like touch the church. So it's wow, and it's just such a beautiful church. But then, and this is like a pro tip. This is an insider tip if you Get ever ready. do this. So there's a little shop that's just around the corner, like right behind the church that he served at. And what they have there is this dessert, which this is supposedly the Pope's or former Pope now. His favorite dessert. Yes. And it's called Kremufka. Has to has to have an honorable mention in this podcast. I think so, for sure. It's basically like a big square block, um, like cream puff pastry with like a flaky crust on top, some Ooh. nice powdered sugar. Oh. It's it's really amazing. No, I'm hungry. Now that I mean, now that's an encounter with God. I think so. That's a true pilgrimage moment. And if you eat enough of those, you will encounter God sooner. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I think the last thing I want to talk about is uh, really the last um, pilgrimage you want to do. Anything Steve Ray does. 
Steve Ray, Footprints of God. Anything he does, you'll want to do it. Hey, by the way, have you ever heard of the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan? I have. We'll hear about more about it in the next segment. Welcome back to the Flint Catholic Podcast. Today we are joined by Colleen Vermeulen. Did I say that right? Yes. Uh, from the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan. Uh, so we'll talk about the Catholic Biblical School. We'll talk about scripture. Um, but first, uh, tell us a little bit about your Catholic journey. Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey, um, born and raised Catholic. So I did all the normal Catholic kid things, went to CCD, got all my sacraments on time. Um but I had never really had a relationship with, with Jesus. I wasn't intentionally living my faith, and I didn't really know that until I was in high school. And a friend who was Baptist asked me, um, do you know if you're saved? And I didn't really know the answer to that question. She asked me on the way home from an away high school soccer game on the school bus. Um, and that got me seeking, so that got me curious and interested to figure out what is the answer to this question and what is the Catholic answer and what do even I think or believe or have faith and like real trust in. So that's what jump started my journey like as a teenager and that continued into my college years um, and I'm you know really thankful to the Holy Spirit that she asked me that question because she was the spur and that led to like my real conversion and you know God leading me um, enough into the faith to know that I am his forever and in his church is the place he's called me. So that's kind of how I transitioned from teenager into adulthood, um, you know, knowing my place in God's family. That's super cool. I, I love that too, because I think we hear that a lot, actually, that, that Protestants, they ask Catholics, are you saved? That question um, so often gets Catholics to say, well, do I... Do I believe this faith that I've been given? Like, what do I actually believe? And it's, uh, it's such a cool question to help us dive and become mature in our faith. I love that. Yeah, but, and and she wasn't targeting me because we were Catholic. Right. Like, we were great friends, and I knew her. And she asked everybody at our public high school this because she was an evangelist. Like, right. she had been. Wow, that's amazing. Touched. That in itself is amazing. Her her having this sort of like ministry in high school of just you know, seeking this out, challenging her friends, and also your response to it. Because I think for a lot of people, that question can lead them to maybe doubt or to leave the church or or whatever, but your your response led you deeper, and that's beautiful. Yeah, it, it kind of led me in that moment to realize that I wouldn't have had this language at the time, but I was agnostic yeah. on that question. Sure. It was not a question I had asked I hadn't really thought about like the beautiful eternal implications of my Catholic faith I had kind of just viewed it as well Catholicism means I'm a you know I'm a good person and I try to do good things which is a great which is true and that's good but mm -hmm. that's not the fullness of yeah, it all definitely so I imagine at some point then scripture has played a large role in and in, in where you are today and, and what you're doing, uh, certainly because you are also part of the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan. So how'd you get from there to the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan? Hmm, that is a that's a pretty long journey, so I'm gonna try to summarize it. Um, so falling in with Baptists, I did get immersed in in the Bible, and that was the first place that I went to look for answers. So I'm tremendously grateful that they showed me those habits of Bible reading, taking notes during sermons, and actually looking to the Word for prayer. Um, I went to serve in the military. I joined the Army through ROTC in college and then served on active duty. So my kind of career was kind of set, didn't you know have a lot of decisions to make there. Um, and then once I got out of the army, I really left because I had met my future husband and we wanted to settle down and start a family without moving around everywhere. And um, I knew that I wanted to serve the church in an intentional way, to be evangelizing, to be missionary, um, kind of like the inspiration I saw from her. So um, we eventually moved to Michigan, where my husband is from, and I discovered the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan probably by Googling. 
Um, we had a baby at the time and I was looking for how can I serve in a part-time way. I had gone to grad school and so that's how I got connected to them. But uh, the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan's beginning is long before me. So they began 12 years ago um, and the idea came from uh, Dr. Peter Williamson who yes. works at... Yeah, you had him, Father Tony. I did. I, he's a great professor at Sacred Heart. Really, really good. Yeah, so he teaches a lot of the seminarians who come through Sacred Heart, a lot of the lay people who go um, take classes there. And he had kind of had this sense over time that like there is such an amazing richness of scriptural interpretation and tradition that flows out of seminaries, but it's a really big gap between that and people in the pew. Yeah. Um, which, you know, in our diocese, Bishop's Year of the Bible is, is really trying to bridge that gap. So he was interested in how can we find a way to bring really high quality, engaging, um, in-depth teaching about the entire Bible, you know, not just snippets, but so Catholics can really be confident that God wants to touch them and speak to them and communicate with them through those sacred words. So he went looking elsewhere and found a lay apostolate out in Denver that was doing something similar. And with the help of another lay person, Fred Morath, and a deacon, Deacon Jack Gardner, brought this to Michigan and started the Catholic Biblical School. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because shortly before I heard about this apostolate in Michigan, I had heard about the Denver one, and I wondered if there was if there was any relation to it. So that's that's a really interesting connection there. I tell you what, knowing from from what I know too, the Catholic Church in Denver is pretty rocking right now. Like they they've got all their stuff together. Uh, that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So then, uh, what would you say then is the mission of the Catholic Biblical School of Mission? What are we we're there for? At its heart, our mission is to help people grow as disciples in and through the Word of God. You know, because like it. like Pope Emeritus Benedict says, the the Word of God is not just information. Yes. It is actually performative. It is transformative. And um, that's really what I love about teaching for the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan is that I can have a great humility in the sense that my job is to break down the barriers and break open all the books of the Bible. Yes. And God is going to do the rest. Yep. Yeah, I think what you just said is a very key point. Um, I think a lot of people, I mean, I think everybody at some point looks at the Bible and is incredibly intimidated by it. Incredibly intimidated. This thing is huge. I have no idea what's in it. Um, and the point for me when the scripture really started to come alive, when it really started to make sense was when I was able to understand the the full, like, ten, you know, 30,000 foot, foot view what's going on here like what's the big story what's the big message and then i think the hardest part then was then okay how does it all fit together uh for me at least personally when uh uh looking at the bible like I, okay i kind of knew the genesis story i kind of know the very beginnings i kind of know the gospels and acts and in a little few pieces over there but the real mystery was like okay, the Old Testament's really, really big. What's in most of it? After the Pentateuch, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. You, re you, you flip open to a random um, uh, uh, prophet and you start reading, you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. What is this? And even sometimes when uh, I'll be preparing for a homily, you'll see uh, a, an Old Testament prophet and you'll read it out of context and I'll, I'll look at it and go, even today, I'll look at it and go, I have no idea what this prophet's trying to say. Like, what is going on? So I have to go into the full context and then, okay, now it makes sense. Um, and so really breaking down the barriers of scripture is hugely important, uh, helping people understand that the scriptures are accessible by everyone. We can all access, access the scriptures given the tools and then once we're given the tools to be able to access the scripture, God speaks powerfully through it. Yeah, I think sometimes even we can have a little bit of shyness or guilt about that, you know, because we know that our faith is, is flowing from the scriptures and we know that in baptism we've been given the Holy Spirit. But still, opening up to that random yeah. page in the Bible can be a uh, sometimes a very confusing experience right. because there is this overarching history and culture because it really happened like this is rooted in real people and as 21st century americans you know we don't usually read um homer or the odyssey right. or even shakespeare and say oh 
this is so easy and relevant and it's simple to understand, right? Yeah. yeah. We don't read those old books that way. And so even though the Bible is inspired, we still need some of those tools right. so that we can really see how to apply it. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book of the Bible? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I typically feel like whatever book I'm currently teaching becomes my favorite because it's right in front of me. Uh -huh. And, yep. you know, every time I teach something, uh, God works on me a different yeah. way. So it's new every time, even though there's some things that never change. So it's pretty much whatever book I'm teaching. But hmm, I love Paul's letters. I love um, Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthians. Um, I love Acts of the Apostles. So you can probably guess I'm a specialist in the New Testament. Uh -huh. um, so so that's, is that favorites. Dr. Peter Williamson rubbing off on you a little bit? No, I never actually had him as a professor. Oh, man. So I, I kind of feel the same way as you do, where I find myself when I'm preaching, oftentimes saying, this is my favorite book of the Bible. And I'm like, oh, well, I know I say that all the time, but but I think I actually mean it this time. And <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think I said the other day, I was like, one of these days I should just like sit down and list my favorite books of the Bible. So I know that I'm like saying the truth, like, no, this is actually my favorite book of the Bible. But then I don't trust myself to keep the same order. So there's so much goodness in all of these books. Right. You could come up with like an empirical ranking system yep. of the different yeah. characteristics <laughs> and then rate all the yeah, books of the you Bible. You got to score each of them. You know, I, I give this a nine out of 10. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could do that. So I'm just going to yeah. keep saying every book is my favorite. So yeah. I don't know if that's a cop out, but. I, I will say, though, I so I teach freshman um, scripture, so I've got a scripture class at Powers Catholic High School, and uh, I'm eternally thankful that Revelation is at the end of the Bible. As all the kids are thinking about summer vacation, I can keep their attention through the book of Revelation, which is pretty fantastic. I love the book of Revelation. And you can hold it over their heads. It's true. They're going to find out They're going to find out the big mysteries at That's the end. That's true. Yep. It's true. You've, you've heard all the rumors about Revelation. Let's dive into it. Ha, ha, ha. So, Colleen, I had one question for you so just last night i was having a conversation with a with a college student who wanted to dive deeper into scripture wanted wants to read the whole bible and so we were talking about what might be a good roadmap for that and i know a lot of people have different opinions on that different recommended starting points you know stuff like that so i just wanted to get your thoughts on that what what would you recommend just you know, not necessarily book by book breakdown or anything like that, but just like one, where would you recommend people start and what might be like a, a simple roadmap? Hmm. So I would actually recommend that they participate in the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan. Um, so we have a fully online class and overall, that's exactly kind of our mission. So what we do is we offer four classes um, that cover the entire Bible. So if you do all four classes, this person will have gotten a chance to read every book of the Bible. And in terms of order, we try to do just like Father Tony was saying, we want to give it in a, in a way that you get that big picture story. And we inherited this from Denver. Um, actually, a religious sister started this pattern, uh, Sister Macrina. And so we start with the historical books of the Old Testament, because that teaches us about God's plan for, for creation um, and his covenant with Israel, his people. And we also see, especially in Genesis, pretty much every tendency of humans toward division and failure and strife, right? It's not really a pretty picture in terms of humanity, but that oh, has yeah. proven, you know, continuous throughout history. They're just like us. Um, you know, the questions of the Old Testament are not, did this happen, but does this happen? And the answer is yes. And how does this keep happening? Because the same things keep happening. So to start them with that setup, then in our second class, we move to the Gospels and Acts and Paul's letters, because that's the answer. The answer is that God is going to send a very truly human Messiah to show us the way and to drag us sometimes kicking and screaming on that way to be in his family. So we jump to the New Testament next. So not a continuous read through the Old Testament. Then our third class brings them back to the prophets because, you know, the prophets are essential because they are calling out to God's people in all of their times of trouble, in their exile, whether it's geographic, political, socially, culturally. And these are things we all feel and experience today. 
you know, the prophets want to talk to God's people about how do you live in right relationship with one another and how do you truly worship? And these things are so relevant to us. And they make a lot more sense after you studied the Gospels because Jesus is acting out the prophets in so many ways, in his gestures and where he goes and what he says. And then the final class is the wisdom literature. So that would be the Psalms, Proverbs, Job, that wisdom of the Old Testament, and the wisdom-filled symbolic literature of the New Testament. So we end with John's Gospel, John's Letters, the Catholic Epistles, and Revelation. Yes. So that's kind of how we bring people through um, a pathway of the Bible that is accessible to everyone. Yeah, that's I awesome. That. Yeah, I like that. You know, I haven't, I haven't quite heard that pathway that you laid out before, but I, I do like that, and I really enjoy hearing, like, I guess different viewpoints of where to start because there's so much, there's so much that can be gained even, even just from understanding that. Yeah, and I would also say, you know, not just to think about the order of books, but how you're going to go about doing it, finding a community, mm-hmm. whether that's in the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan, in your parish, in your college dorm room, wherever it is, because, um, you know, we're we're grafted onto Israel and into Judaism and their tradition of the Jewish scriptures is to never read them alone. They were meant to be conversed, debated. You know, in the Old Testament, they talk about enjoying them like honey, eating them like bread. So whenever we, however we're going to study the scriptures, in whatever order, we should be doing it like bread, sharing it with others, kind of gnawing on it, passing it back and forth. That's kind of God's plan for um, how to show us the meaning. And it's how the church encourages us too. Don't yeah. go it alone. That's right. I always think of uh, um, Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof and his song, uh, If I Were a Rich Man. One of the things he says is I would study the scripture eight hours a day with all the learned men. And do we think that today? No. Mm. But I love that. Yeah. Meant to be done uh, with a community. And it's when it's done well, it's, it's so enjoyable. It's so much fruit that comes from it. It's great. So uh, one thing that uh, I love about the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan is that uh, it's not started by uh, the hierarchy of the church. It's a lay apostolate, and we've been talking a lot about the lay apostolate here uh, in our podcast. Um, so why is the lay apostolate so important? And, and really what we're talking about, too, is is uh, lay people teaching lay people the scriptures. You going out and starting your own Bible study, um, taking what you learn from the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan, and then starting your own Bible studies, running your own things. You don't have to run everything through the parish. So tell us about the uh, lay apostolate and why it's so important. Yeah, so, I mean, the word apostolate, we can hear in it, it means that we are apostles, that all of us who are baptized, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're meant to be sent into some mission field. You know, and for some, it might be being uh, contemplative, that that prayerful mission. But I think for so many of us, laity, um, it's in the world. It's being amidst one another. Um, And the idea that we need to edify and renew and really bring the gospel to all of society and so a lay apostolate is, is a formal structure of the church, and it means that you're in cooperation with, with the hierarchy, with the bishops. And so we are specifically, we were founded in the Archdiocese of Detroit, so that's Arch, Archbishop Vigneron. And in every diocese of Michigan, where we have in-person classes and parishes, um, Bishop Bouillet, and then also in the Diocese of Grand Rapids and the Diocese of Kalamazoo, those bishops all say yes, specifically to as laity, give us that permission to teach the word in the name of the church and to, to be doing this ministry. Yeah. So it's a cooperation yep. between the laity and the hierarchy is what lay apostolates are, are all about. And I think what they really show us is that the church is always bigger than just our one own parish. You know, that's like our, that's our one place, but the mission of the church goes beyond that mm-hmm. and parishes are not meant to be silos that they work together to really evangelize an area. Um, so that's how the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan works. We find one parish in a region that has the room to host classes for four years and go through the entire Bible. And then everyone in all different parishes is welcome to participate. So really showing that Catholicism is bigger than just one church building. So if someone were to uh, be interested in the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan, uh, 
what um, what should they expect or what what does the Catholic Biblical School of Michigan offer? So we um, teach classes from September to May every year. And um, we do them, most of them are in local parishes. And this year in the Diocese of Lansing, our new class is going to start at Church of the Holy Family in Grand Flank. Yes. And that's going to be on Tuesday nights. I know, it's really close here. In yes. Flank. So it's going to be on Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. But for everybody who's not lucky enough to live near Grand Blanc, we also have a fully online class that you can do from anywhere, even outside of Michigan, and at every any time. And during our class, um, we have a we have a teacher. All of our teachers have master's degrees um, or above, and so they give a presentation. They give a lecture on the chapters of scripture that you're going to be asked to go home and read, and then come back and discuss the next week. So it's about hearing prayerfully reading, writing some reflections, and discussing. Because almost all of us learn through one of those ways, Mm -hmm. and hopefully more than one. But at a minimum, at least one. Um, We work on a donation model. So we believe that God has never given us permission to say no to anybody who wants to study the scriptures. So we say yes to everyone, um, regardless of any ability to contribute financially. But for those who are able to contribute, their voluntary tuition contributions are what keep us going. So again, a truly lay-funded apostolate, you know, nothing, no funding coming from the diocese or the parish, but a way that the laity can edify and renew and bless the church. So this class in Grand Blanc, we are going to be having open house information nights. One is going to be on July 28th Wednesday at 6 30 p.m. which is right after the six o'clock mass at Holy Family in Grand Blanc so stop by for that too and then on Wednesday September 1st at 6 30 p.m. also at Holy Family in Grand Blanc and if you check out our website we've got some zoom info sessions too so what would be that website uh, link cbsmich.org so cbsmich.org all right. And I think you said uh, cbsmish.org slash join, right? Right. To get that join information. Definitely. Uh, I'm actually looking at the uh, the t-shirts uh, for sale. And uh, I, li- I like the uh, the graphic t-shirt with the state of Michigan with all the, bi- the names of the Bibles on them, or books of the Bible. I like that one. So some cool swag over there, too. Check that out. If either of you guys would wear a t-shirt, I have some in my car and would give you one. Oh, dang. Maybe Definitely. We'll, maybe we'll have to take a picture with those yeah. on. Yeah. Throw it as part of the sort of show notes. Colleen, thank you for joining us. Uh, again, that link is uh, cbsmish.org. cbsmish.org. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much.